This is episode 123 on The Herpreneur Show. Today we have the incredible businesswoman and author of Gold of Dust, Samantha Wills. Welcome to The Herpreneur Show, where we talk women, business, life. I am your host, Annette Lakovich. I'm an entrepreneur, businesswoman, mum, and I'm a fitness fanatic who loves to dance. What I also love to do is help you reach your fullest potential in business, health, and happiness. Join me as I bring you life-changing interviews, world-class education that helps you continue to up-level your next stage in greatness. It's your time to shine. Let's do it. Don't you love how the universe works when it sends you a message? I've been asking a question for quite some time now, and I received my message in this interview. Samantha Wills is going to be talking to you today about the importance of connecting your heart and your head, which I knew it was time to make a decision to wrap up season three on the Herpreneur Show and quite possibly the whole show in itself. I will be releasing one more episode to explain where I'm at and what's going on so you know where that compass is pointing. But for now, I really want you just to sit back and enjoy this interview of understanding how an incredible successful businesswoman that built an eight-figure business, a business that had a $10 million turnover, dressing the likes of the most incredible celebrities that we know out there, Oprah, JLo, you name it, she has helped dress them, they've worn her jewelry, and why she changed and walked away. Samantha is now an author of her very first book of gold and dust, and we have an incredible offer for you. She has been very generous and given you a $20 discount code to get off the book, or you can actually just go to samanthawills.com and go to her shop and have a look at some of the incredible stuff that you can buy with this discount code. The discount code is herpreneur20, or one word, 20 is the two zero, so it's Herpreneur two zero, or one word, add it at checkout and that will give you $20 off. And this is only available until the 31st of December, 2021. Sit back and enjoy this very raw and open interview with Samantha Wills. Welcome to the Herpreneur Show, Samantha. It's so great to have you on. What a treat to be here. Thank you. Now, you've got such a beautiful backdrop. Your office is gorgeous. Where do you reside these days? Are you in Australia? Are you in the US market still? Where are you? I'm in Bondi at the moment, back in Australia. So we're in lockdown right now. We will get there. But um, no, thank you. My backdrop, because when I released my book recently, a lot of it was virtual. So I had to set up this this little studio. So thanks for coming in. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yes, I think we've all become tech gods, haven't we, with um, the whole COVID thing. It's like, you know, getting the lighting right, the microphones, the background, the backdrops, and (laughs) we totally feel you. Look, I would like to start with... uh, a really emotional part of your journey. After 15 years of you building a very successful business, you served the likes of some of the biggest celebrities that we know, the biggest superstars, and you decided to shut it all down and walk away. I would love to start the interview with what was the feeling like that very first day when you had absolute freedom, you had the weight taken off your shoulders. Do you remember that moment at all? I do. And I wish I had a bigger story for you because I I think a lot of people at that time were like the day that we closed, we closed on January 11th, 2019. And, um, you know, 
closing a business is not, you know, you know, it's closing the front door or something. There's obviously a lot to undo on, on mm. the back end and things as well. But for us, it was, you know, really poignant to put up on our website, you know, Samantha Wills is now closed, which is the mm. first time that ever our website, you know, ever closed. And it was just, you know, that um, final scene in Cheers where they close the door and the lights go off and it fades to black. Yeah. Like that, and then waking up the next morning was—I don't know—it wasn't—it wasn't hugely different, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think you know, as as you know, I compare it to a, a breakup sometimes, where you, if you're the one doing the breakup, you you've processed it, you've processed mm, the morning, yes. and you know, kind of gone through it. So um, I was, yeah, I was really calm um, that day. Yeah. You know, I share in my book, I kind of packed up my jewellery supplies and was like, all right, let's move the desk so it feels a little different and and let's keep moving forward. So, wow. yeah, no, no huge. Yeah. Huge. <laughs> and, and I think like you said that there's a lot of, there's the intricate steps that happen before that final putting the the post up on the website and closing that door and, you know, and, and that sort of like the the grieving stage has happened, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Like, even to get to the point to decide to close the business after 15 years, that was a two-year yes. internal journey for me. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, I'd definitely done my my tears and my anxiety and my fears <laughs> in the lead-up to it. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's go down that path. Let's just first start with the you conquering the US market, you going out there. We know that there's no such thing as an overnight success. You've got a very famous saying that, you know, it took two year, 12 years to be an overnight success. Can you take us back on the journey and just give us a brief overview? You're 21 years old. You're creating this brand. Can you take us back for that startup phase? Yeah, it was, um, you know, and I, I use this term very literally. It was blood and sweat and tears. Like yeah. I and my, my hands, were I would make jewellery sometimes for 20 hours a day and I can still feel the calluses on, on my hands from that time. Um, you know, when you're, when you're in that first, for me it was the first three years that were really, really brutal at times, um, you know, and I think a lot of people kind of look on and, you know, the, the, the response is often, oh, you know, you, you work so much, you're working too much, you're working too much. Yeah. And I think as a, a solopreneur, it's a really tough thing for, for someone to say to you because I often um you know explain it as it's entrepreneurialism we automatically I think put this traditional framework on it so you know you work too much meaning you work more than nine to five you know mm-hmm. in, in yeah. traditional overarching sense um but you know when you're a creative entrepreneur you're building your dream like that's it's not work at that point it, yes it's it's toiling but it's it's what yeah. you want to be doing and I liken it to, you know, if someone was to become an Olympic swimmer, for example, and they're up at three o'clock every morning and they're in the pool five times a day and they're training, training, training. People aren't going to be like, oh my God, you're working too much. No, like, that's a good example. Yeah, you're building your dream. Good for you. So, um, so yeah, those, those first three years were very intense. I love, I loved it, but it was mm-hmm. also, you know, really, really tough financially, um, mm-hmm. personally. Um, but yeah, it, it takes a lot. And and mm. I say that to a lot of young entrepreneurs now, I'm like, make peace with the fact it's going to be really hard. It's yeah. really hard. <laughs> yeah. What was it for you that really wanted to persist through? Was it a calling? Was it a knowing? Like, what was it where you went, like, I'm onto something here? Why was the passion so strong that you just kept pushing through it? 
Um, I think, you know, I think knowing is probably the, the most apt word to use there. It was this internal, I couldn't explain it. There was no logic behind it, you know, especially mm-hmm. when I had $80,000 debt. There was no logic behind that, but there was something within me that was just like, you can't give up right now. Like you just got to keep going forward. And I think, you know, in my naivety, I guess, and, and lack of experience in those days, it almost was a a godsend because I think if I had have known what was ahead, I'd yeah. probably run over the hills. So everyone's like, you were so brave. I was like, I was just naive, but sure. That's right. You fake the naivety of not yeah. knowing because if you did know, sometimes you just think, I don't know if I would have done it again. Totally. And yeah. I, think I look back to that time and I didn't, a lot of the time, most of the time, I didn't know what the next step was, but you mm. just inch and you inch and you inch and you're like, oh, okay, I see that opening. I see that. And it is a, I'm not even going to say day by day. Sometimes it's an hour by hour. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think was some of the most critical decisions that you did that really moved you forward to get your name out there in a very big way? That if you think if they were like, if I was to have to teach somebody else, which you do in your book, you share a lot. It's not just a memoir. It's, it's, you know, it's personal and professional, What do you think was some of the most significant decisions that you think you made that really started to get you out there in a bigger way? I think, and I do want to preface that when I was launching, it was a different time in media. Um, Mm. It makes me sound like I'm a thousand years old, but it was before, you know, kind of digital media really kicked in. Um, So print was still the hierarchy, print magazines were still the hierarchy of media. Um, But I think, you know, overarchingly, I think what we did as a brand um, was it was always related to, you know, in this case, it was my story, but it's always related to the founder's story. And Mm -hmm. I often say that in time, you know, that is the only thing people cannot replicate. They can replicate your product, they can replicate your packaging. But if you are telling your story authentically, that is the currency people cannot replicate in your brand. So, yeah. um, you know, the, the the business journey always kind of paralleled my journey and we we're very open and honest with sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, in those early days I was, you know, on going to the opening, literally the opening of an envelope trying to get my name out there because I was like, yeah. oh, if I'm at an event and get photographed, that means the brand gets mentioned. Um, it was it was a real, it was scrappy, I would say. I was just trying to do anything I could to get my brand out there. And then I think over time I really started to refine it to be like, okay, what do I want to be known for? And, you know, I talk about that in not just a jewellery sense, but when my profile kind of started to diverge from that, I was like, mm-hmm. all right, I want to be known to be helping women in business. How do I do that? And kind of having these two or three touch points that I would just repeat and repeat, like if, if anyone listening to this has listened to any other podcast I've done, you, there'll be things in that, that you've heard time and time again, and that's how you start to build your name. And you're like, oh, okay, that's that's the affiliation. So it's it's kind of that repetition um, of, of building your name up as well. Yeah. You've got some women that listen that are in that startup phase. Mm-hmm. And in your book, you mention about Renee, your personal assistant. Yeah. <laughs> and and <laughs> And just for anyone that doesn't know, Renee was the fake personal assistant because Samantha wanted to have this separation of how she claimed money so she could keep that relationship with her clientele. And there's a stage, though, when you start to need a team. Mm -hmm. At what stage did you know, okay, I need to start to be able to, to be able to leverage my team, to be able to really get to that next level. What stage was it that you were going through where you realised, okay, I'm now ready to put on some team and to be able to help me? 
I think, you know, I met my business partner three years into that journey and he definitely played a huge crucial role in putting a structure around me and allowing me to be the best creative that I could be. Um, But when I look at at staffing and expanding in that sense, I think, you know, you kind of look at it in three stages. In that first stage, you're like, I just need an extra set of hands. So you're probably trying to recruit, you know, a jack of all trades that literally can, you know, Everything that you're doing, someone else, you can teach them elements of that as well. To make their hands bleed. (laughs) We want them to do the different. (laughs) Don't put that on the recruitment ad. (laughs) Um, Then I think, you know, the next phase, and this is probably more when you get to the financial level where you're like, okay, now we're going to start to hire people that are more specialised in their role. So you're looking for kind of that more mid-level, you know, early management kind of phase. And then I think once you're into that next phase, you're then hiring experts of industries. Mm -hmm. You know, in those early days, you're not going to go out and try and find, you know, a seasoned CEO. You need someone who's literally a jack of all trades that is going to get in there and get their hands dirty with you. So I think a lot of the time, you know, the last thing we do is we price our time into anything. Like, I'll just do it. It's, it's cheaper if I do it. And I think yeah. that, you know, that only gets you so far because then you're starting to hinder the, the growth of your own business. And um, I also think that the thought process around that, and I know it was a thought process that I held, you know, I grew up in a very <clears throat> blue-collar upbringing. And so anytime I'd be like, oh, I need to spend money, it'd be like, oh, no, you're spending it, you're not investing it in the business. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I'd be like, oh, I can't afford to bring someone on because I saw it as an expense rather than an investment. Yeah, really good point. Um Let's talk about the turning point. It happened over two years, you said. Mm-hmm. We've got female entrepreneurs that a lot of them listen to the show are in the growth phase, mm-hmm. scale phase, yep. or evolution, the brand new evolution. Can you take us back to what was going on for you? What was coming up for you? Because it's a really hard decision that to make that final call to say, that's it, I'm wrapping that up, I'm wrapping the brand up, the product up, the launch up, whatever it is, we've all walked away from things. I remember my very first business adventure, I waited for them to close my website down because I just couldn't pull the pin. Right. And that was, I was in my early, early 20s. But mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what stage you're at, there's there's that hardship that happens behind closed doors that a lot of us don't talk about. Yeah. And we think it's just us that's suffering in silence. And the hard thing is when you get these startup women and they go to these um, networking groups, and I'm normally a speaker at the networking groups, and you, you see them and they're pretending everything's fine, but it's not fine because they've got no money. They can't even they can't even buy themselves lunch, right? right. <laughs> For them to be there that day, it's probably cost them their petrol or something. Right. But then as we get older... Or, or as our business growth, uh, as we start to get into more seniority of, you know, being a, a businesswoman, there's some challenges that go on personally with us as well. What happened with you when, what made you start to go, you know what, this is just not a fit for me anymore? What was actually coming up? Um, I think, yes, we made the announcement to close in August of 2018. Um, and I would say probably it was a two-year journey personally to get to yeah. that point. Um, in 2015, and as I share in the book, a, a relationship of mine broke down in a in a really destroying way to me and it kind of put me on the floor 
um, personally, which then obviously, you know, brings about change and turning points when you're able to navigate through that. So when I kind of started to emerge from that, I had the idea to launch the Samantha Wells Foundation in 2016. And the Samantha Wells Foundation was always, um, you know, it was always meant to just be a side project around sharing the vulnerabilities of business. I noticed that, you know, not a lot of people were doing that at the time. So I kind of wanted to share, you know, our milestones, but also the story Mm. behind the story. And then my curiosity for that was really sparked. And, you know, at this point in 2016, I probably designed 11,000 pieces of jewellery. And so, you know, we were were a commercial machine by that point. So I was designing jewellery with definitely with my hands, but probably not with my heart at that time. And I think for any creative person, no matter how far along your path you are, um, if you're not doing it with your heart, that's that's an issue within yourself. Yeah. And you know, it's it's your lifeblood. For me, that creative flicker that I, you know, once felt was starting to dim and at 11,000 pieces of jewellery and I was like, oh, it's just a creative block. Like I, I know this feeling, like I'll get it back. So, you know, six months in, another six months, I'm like, all right, it's still dimming, dimming another six mm-hmm. months, a year and a half in and I'm like, man, this is really scary. Like is this how I'm going to feel the rest of my life? Because I think, you know, when you ever so modestly name a brand after yourself, you're like, well, that's yeah. that's my lot in life. This is what I do. So to me, leaving it wasn't even on my radar. Like I didn't even know that was a possibility, to be honest. So in my mind, my, my thought process was like, I need to get this creativity back. Like how am I going to do that? And um, so, you know, a year and a half in of inner turmoil of just feeling quite disconnected, I went, took some time to go out to an upstate meditation retreat in upstate New York. I was like, all right, I've got a week to get my shit together. <laughs> Let's get this on track. Yeah. And um, it was at that time my business partner had sent me an email saying the business is at a crossroads. And essentially he outlined in the email just, you know, whatever you want to do, we'll support you, but we need to know what you want to do. Like he, he knew that my heart, you know, was kind of waning from, from it. And mm-hmm. he sent this through. It said the business is at a crossroads. I looked up when this email comes through and I was physically standing at this crossroads at this at this campus. And it was at the meeting point of, of that synchronicity that for the very, very first time I just felt it's like I allowed space wow. to land and it was just like it's time to close. And it was as calm and as simple. And I, I looked around and was like, it's it's time to close. And that in that was the moment I made the decision. But Truly, the, the two years of turmoil leading up to that, I was like, this is what I'm going to feel like for the rest of my life. Mm. I did not see an out of that. Gosh, what an incredible story. I think what really resonates for me and it would for a lot of women is when you said you started to make, you're making jewellery with your hands, not with your heart. And I think that's a huge sign because our compass is trying to say it's pointing yeah. <laughs> and we logically we're trying to quieten it down we're yes. trying to mute it we're trying to logically justify no like you were saying this brand's got my name on it mm. what will I say to people what I've invested so much money what will I do now and I just that's just such an incredible story thank you so much for sharing that but I think you know as you say with that intuitive compass and I talk about this a lot I'm so passionate about it because the word intuition like we know what it means we've known what it means from being a small child but we've grown up in a society that is like hey unless you can logically explain something unless you can 
touch it, feel it tangibly, be like, here it is, then it doesn't hold a lot of weight. So I think, you know, over over time and now women of, of our generation, we're like, I've always, you know, the whisper is not the hard thing to hear. It's trusting it because we're yeah. conditioned to not trust it and to yeah. dial it down and find a logical yeah. um, way through it. So mm. I think standing at, at that crossroads that day for me was like, it was a knowing that there was no logic to like we were in growth. We had such a strong brand health, like everything was tick, 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 but there was yeah. just a knowing. Yeah. And what I did every morning that I woke up before I even told another soul, I was like, okay, how do you feel about this? Not what do you think about it? I might run it through the feeling filter. Mm. You pretend you don't have a company anymore. How does that feel? And if I ran it through the thinking filter, there was no logic. I couldn't explain that. So I was like, it feels like the right thing to do. And my, I always return this. I'm like, you cannot fake a feeling. You can mm-hmm. talk yourself in or out of anything, but yeah. you can't fake a feeling. Yeah, hands down. Let's share about the book. Mm-hmm. It, it pretty much goes hand in hand with the Samantha Wills Foundation because it's about the creativity. It's about, and you so you started that in 2016. So you're right. It, it wasn't the, the feelings that we would share, right? right? And so they've got this incredible woman that's gone through business that's also sharing her heart. Then when you closed the, your business down, at what stage did you know it's time to write the book? How did that come about? Um, I'd always kind of, from doing the foundation, I knew I enjoyed writing. I, I mm. knew there was need for that vulnerable storytelling and a few people had a few publishers had reached out to my manager being like you know would you be interested in writing a book and I was like oh I'm not a writer I'm not a writer like no 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 and then um I was like all right I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to I did a semester actually at Gotham Writers um in New York to just oh, wow. to see memoir writing to see you know what you know how I structured the genre to see if it was something I would I could do um, and then I was like, okay, it kind of feels like an extension out. But when I started writing the book, I actually plot twisted myself because I had no intention of closing the company. So, you know, I was kind of starting the, the initial writing phase and then I was like, oh, no, I'm going to close the business now. Um, so, yeah, it was, I don't know, you're right, it was hand in hand with, with everything and um, mm. I felt it a really important handing over and I felt very lucky to be able to do it in the way that my publisher allowed me because it was it was meant to be just a hardcore business memoir and then mm. the more that I wrote the more I was like hang on there's a parallel because the original working title was public brand private life and I'm like but hang on it's the human element that middle mm. parallel is especially as women in business I'm like it's the human spirit yeah like what happens to that throughout that journey mm. Let's do some rapid-fire questions. You okay. want to have some fun. We want to learn about you. You say fun. These give me anxiety, these rapid-fire <laughs> questions. I'm so nervous. And I'll tell you what, the rapid-fire questions are not rapid-fire answers. Okay. <laughs> okay. First thing, in your handbag, besides wallet, keys, mobile, mm-hmm. what is something that you would always carry with you? Lip balm. And a mask now. Oh yes, of <laughs> course, right? Yeah. And and don't you hate it that you put your lip balm on and, and then it. you put your mask and you think, oh that's right, I've got to put my mask on. I, or so, you know, you're like, I'll just pop down and then you see you forgot your mask, you've got to come all the way home to go back to Woolies to get something. So uh, yeah, always yeah. mask. The other day I walked around Coles and had no idea, I didn't have it on, and everyone's staring at me, and it wasn't until a lady oh, no. ran away. Like I had some disease and I was like, oh, my God, I shouldn't have my mum. <laughs> uh, 
Favorite woman in business could be a celebrity, anyone. Who do you really just think she's an incredible businesswoman? Oh, um, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Taylor Swift. I think what Ooh. she has done and the brand that she has built, I have just got so much admiration for the integrity of which she goes about it. Um, on on a business front, mm. on a brand front, that woman is a magnificent marketer and brander. Like I just, yeah, I adore her. So I think, yeah, yeah Taylor Swift. And align with the conversation as well, pulling the curtain right back and sharing how she feels, her message through music, right? Yeah. I think from the background she's come from and from country uh, music genre especially where they've been told to, you know, just show up and smile, like it, it's a big deal what she's doing. Mm. Uh What do you eat? Are you organic, paleo, vegetarian? Are you a meat eater? What's your diet like? I, well, I'm on the lockdown diet at the moment, so I should be just wearing a mask to stop putting food in my face because I'm like, I'm just going to go see what snacks are in the fridge. So, um, I, Emily? I, I know. I'm, um, I'm a relaxed vegetarian. Mm. Pescatarian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Favourite style of music? Taylor Swift. Oh, wow. <laughs> Worst habit that you're happy to share? My best. Oh, gosh, I've got so many. <laughs> I have to come back to that. I think being in lockdown for so long, you don't have someone, you know, your habits out in the real world where people are like, can you stop? Now you're just like sitting in your own filth with, <laughs> with your habits. <laughs> Best piece of advice. Now, this one's not a rapid fire answer for sure. Best piece of advice that someone's given you over the years that continually sticks with you now? Uh, I think... I think, you know, on two two fronts, I think, you know, intuition and going, following your intuition because you can't fake a feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think in business, um, the biggest advice that I think now that I pass on is um, don't try and please everyone. Don't go out there and, and, you know, when we say, oh, I hope they like it, they kind of comes with the concept of like the royal we, like it, they is everyone. I'm like, your brand shouldn't be for everyone. It should be for a very specific um, mm. amount of people. So, yeah, if, if you're pleasing everyone, you're probably not being as true to your brand values as, yeah. as you should be. Beautiful. In closing, I'd like to get two pieces of advice from you. One to share to the woman that's listening now, and she is in the startup phase, she is in the trenches. What would be something that you feel that you could pass on as a piece of advice that maybe you wish that you had, or maybe just something that you wish that you know, or something that you know is really going to help her keep going? Yeah. Um, look, I think what I wish I had done in those early days was get a bookkeeper as a creative person. I, you know, I don't know why I thought I should spend any amount of time in the P&L or accounting. I didn't even know what <laughs> Me <was>. too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so definitely getting a bookkeeper early on. Um, it's not a huge expense. It's mm-hmm. finding someone that can, you know, work with you a few hours a month. And I think having that transparency around your financials allows you to be a better creative because it, it not only frees up your time, but you can see what money you've got to spend or, you know, getting someone to help you on that business side of things very early on. Mm. Um, And I think, like I said before, like it it is going to be hard and, and, you know, we spend time now building brands on, you know, on Instagram and and things like that. So be careful not to get into that compare and despair. No one, Mm. you know, everyone's posting this this hologram. So don't put your reality to someone else's hologram it's it's a really slippery slope to to be on yeah I think that's really important as well because you do go through that comparison and like you were saying before about the hands and the heart it does sometimes just take your compass away 
instead of truly just being quiet because we get our ideas not at our desk, not at Instagram. That's not where we get our ideas. We get our ideas in space and in harmony. And, um, yeah, I think that's a really great tip. Also with the the bookkeeper, no one's actually said that on the show. And I tell you what, it took me two years to get my first bookkeeper and I had signs like you wouldn't believe where I would change my bass from monthly to then quarterly, and then I'd always leave it to that last date and I had to go through it. And and then I always thought that I couldn't afford it and then I realised that I could afford it and it was like the biggest weight taken off my shoulders. So what a great piece of advice. Thank you. And not only afford it, they probably saved you money because, like, you just no transparency. Yes. Bookkeeper day one, they're God's gift creative people. (laughs) <laughs> love it. Now we've got women, a big majority of women, they're in the growth phase. Yep. They're in the growth phase. So they're either scaling their business, mm-hmm. growing their team, or some of them going through that next evolution. So wherever you want to point your bit of intuition now, if you could give them a message that would really help them, what would it I be? Think- Scaling is hard, especially if you have a product business. Um, you know, I, we moved a lot of our production was done um, out of China. Our packaging was done out of India. So if, you, if you're looking to scale offshore, my advice would be to not do it all in one go. Just see what mm-hmm. you can, um, you know, and as an example with jewellery, like the, the minimums obviously get higher when you're going offshore. So there is no way I could afford to do, you know, 50 SKUs with quantities of 100 20 per skew. So finding the things that are taking you a lot of time, if you've got some bread and butter items, you know, maybe moving those offshore first and then still hand making if, if you're in a hand making um, element. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing it in, in bit by bit, I think the infrastructure and the demand is never, ever going to line up. That is the entire staircase of business, right? Where it's kind of like, you know, yep. always chasing your tail or trying to, to pull pull it up. So um, yeah, do, do a little bit at a time. And I think, you know, we spoke a bit about recruitment before, but yeah, starting to really get good people into your mm. business. Um, investing in people is is such an investment. Like, you know, don't don't stand in your own way to um, you know, the business will only be as big as you if you continue to hold everything yeah. to yes. So investing yeah. in good people and um yeah that's a, a yeah. godsend. Yeah, definitely. And you were saying before about in the startup phase, you're normally just getting someone that can do everything, which is what you you have been doing for yeah. you to be able to get into that more of that creative side. Though that next stage, like you're saying, is it's, it's the specialist. It's the specialist in other areas because you would all become the bottleneck of your business and it won't grow if, if you don't do that. So two pieces of sound advice. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Samantha, I would love to finish the show with this one question. My big want to be able to help women is to continually help them tap back into themselves. Mm-hmm. We're at our desks, we're in our heads a lot, and sometimes we forget to feel. And yeah. I really believe that exercise and movement helps us get back into our body and helps really feel that alignment again. Mm-hmm. So I always finish the show with this question and it's what is the one thing that you do on a very regular basis that you know if you were to do that, that just makes you the happiest version of yourself, the happiest Samantha Wills there oh. is. What would it be? I think as it relates to movement, um, I say soul cycle, that's an American version that I did over there, but I'd be like a, a spin class, so, you yeah. know, movement with music, it's almost like choreography on a bike. Yeah. For me. She's hardcore ladies. She likes to sweat. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> um, but I do think that movement, you know, it's, 
even if you take the physical benefit of it aside, as it relates to creative entrepreneurialism, I'm like, you've got to move energy. You've got to move. Mm. I, I think of, um, you know, creative ideas is almost like bubbles that hover. Elizabeth Gilbert uses this concept where it's like these bubbles that hover around you. They're looking for a spot to land. If we can't clear our mind and clear our energy field for those new ideas and new inspirations and creative solutions to reach us, they will literally go and find someone else to, to bring them to life. So oh, um, wow. I often Powerful. talk about creating space and creating space might be, you know, you might, and it's when your mind is active, but not actively having to think about a task. So an example, like showering or driving on the freeway, or you might be gardening or almost like a mundane movements um, is when my best ideas. Yeah. Reach me. So in that case, I should be scheduling in obviously showers talking about <laughs> shower and garden all day. <laughs> But, you know, if, if that's where you get your ideas, frame that around your day as, mm-hmm. as the movement that you should be doing. If you get your ideas when you're driving, drive, you know, an extra lap around the block. And as creative ideas, uh, sorry, as creative entrepreneurs, that is our lifeblood. So honouring mm-hmm. that process, whatever that movement is to you, the physical benefit aside, it, it, it's an investment yeah. in your business ideas. Beautiful. Samantha, how can we find out more if they want to find out more about you and keep following you? Where are the best places to stay in touch? So um, my book, A Golden Dust, is available on samanthawills.com. We're doing signed copies on there. Um, It's also available where all good books are sold. It's available on Audible uh, internationally. And we're about to release a masterclass. So if the book is kind of the storytelling handing over, the masterclass is the tactile of like, here's our marketing calendar. Here's the structure of the PL, his, you know, all those tactile elements in business. So that is opening for first enrollments on uh, August 1, and that's at samantheworlds.com. Beautiful. Congratulations in everything that you do. And thank you for blessing the world with your genius, with your story, with your rawness, and with just your 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 beauty inside and out. So it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And thank you for, for gracing us with your beauty. You're thank you so much. The show. I hope you received the inspirational idea, thought, or message that you're meant to hear today. If you love the show, it means a bunch to me sending me a message on Facebook or on iTunes to rate and review the show and subscribe so you're the first to know when the next show's released. Until then, make sure you do something that fills up your level of happiness, something that lifts your vibration so high that you're the happiest person that you know. I'm out.